Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. We're recording this in the first couple of days of April. It recently rained for a while, and now it's been pretty hot where I am. So all the flowers have decided it's time to uh, put pollen into the air. Oh, that sounds lovely. Here in Chicago, it is still winter. It's not lovely because I'm allergic to pollen. <laughs> but but I, I I don't know. I'm I'm sorry. I guess we should switch places because um I I rediscovered uh two things. One, the the allergy medication that I thought worked for me actually doesn't work for me, so I need to find another one. And two, there's a whole network of different capsules one can take around allergy medications. I'm face palming uh, over here. Yeah, it's it's a it's a face palmer because I remembered I remembered a couple episodes ago you you told us we were going to talk about capsule networks. Uh, Today's the day. Yeah, and we're not talking about uh, allergens. But uh, anyway, I am here with a tissue, and you are listening to Linear Digressions. As a fellow allergy sufferer, I do sympathize, but I won't belabor our listeners with stories of how my nose gets stuffy every year uh capsule <laughs> networks <laughs> I, I this is the first time i've done it it's been what three years we've recorded now three and a half or something been like a while, that. yeah i've um, held back until now it just it fit sure sure well so capsule networks are definitely not three and a half years old they're a lot younger than that but mm. uh it's kind of like the new hotness in neural nets if you like um so we had a little bit of a teaser in a previous episode about how this was a thing that existed. And in this one, we'll do a little bit more of a technical deep dive, although um, I confess that uh, there are better resources out there than my own uh, expertise if if you want to really understand these things. So um, some of the ones that I found most useful, I will include as links on LinearDigressions.com, but um, I will try to spend the next 20 minutes making this as understandable as I can. <laughs> for all right. Like. Well, um, so with all those caveats in place, yeah, uh, right. yeah. So capsule networks, just to do a quick recap, uh, uh, pun not intended of the, um, some of the things that we mentioned in one of our earlier episodes. So capsule networks, uh, are invented and came out of the research group of a very famous, neural net researcher in uh, Toronto named Jeffrey Hinton. Uh, And they're meant to fill kind of the same niche that convolutional neural networks play. So in particular, thinking about computer vision and image recognition. Now, convolutional neural nets are sort of the current state of the art or, well, I would say it's it's probably still fair to say that they are, although we'll see how much longer they keep that crown. Uh, But there are some drawbacks to convolutional neural networks that we talked about a little bit in some of our earlier episodes, but some of the more notable ones are that uh, orientation of an object doesn't matter to a convolutional neural net. So if you had, for example, pictures of the Statue of Liberty that are taken from different angles and maybe under different lighting, a convolutional neural net would need to see all the different angles before it was able to positively identify any new angle that uh, that you might throw in front of it. Right, that's right. It sort of needs to memorize all of those pictures, whereas a capsule network is designed to 
understand that there is a thing called the Statue of Liberty. It doesn't really understand it in a deep semantic sense, but it knows that there's this object and that it looks a certain way. And that's what we call Statue of Liberty for training purposes. Um, and it also understands that there's different angles that it could, that that could show up and it can, it's designed to represent that in the actual architecture of the neural net. Another way of saying this is that convolutional neural nets do not account for important, important spatial hierarchies between mm -hmm. simple and complex objects. So we'll go through an example of this for a capsule network. But what I mean by spatial hierarchies between simple and complex objects is let's imagine that you were building a face and you say a face has two eyes a nose and a mouth. And then it's kind of in the middle of a head and there's ears on both sides and whatever. Each of those components, eyes, nose, mouth, ears, is what I would say a simple object. And then when they're arranged in a certain orientation relative to each other, we call it a face. Right. So in other words, if you're a Picasso fan uh, and you're really into looking at pictures of faces that have eyes that are, you know, in the middle of the forehead and maybe somebody's mouth is like in their cheek and all these kinds of things, you might, you might call that a face. But for most of us, we would not immediately recognize it as such. Right. So, so you could say uh, you could say that convolutional neural nets are really bad at Mr. Potato Head, and yeah. capsule networks might be a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. So capsule networks are designed to take into account, for example, that if there's two eyes and a mouth in a certain orientation relative to each other, then right, that implies yeah. something about the fact that there's a face there. And it also means that you expect to see a nose in a certain place. And sort of that's what I mean by hierarchies is that you're taking these lower level features and you're composing them in a particular orientation to each other. Right. And face is just an illustrative example. This is just for any, any objects that are within uh, a, a more complex object, any simple objects that are part of a more complex object. Like, for example, the Statue of Liberty might have a book and a crown and and then the, the Statue of Liberty's head. If you arrange those in, in a particular order, then you could probably, like, you could probably get that order from uh, particular camera angles. But there are, some, uh, there are some relationships that you won't get. Yeah, yeah. And so when a capsule network sees a picture of the Statue of Liberty, it recognizes that there are certain types of objects that are in a certain orientation to each other. And right. so when the pose of the object changes, and pose is kind of a technical term that encapsulates translation and rotation. So you can slide the Statue of Liberty around within the frame of your picture, and you can also change sort of your rotational angle on the Statue of Liberty. Um, both of those taken together are called the pose. And so as long as it understands that there are all these component parts of the Statue of Liberty, and as long as the pose of all of those parts is changing together, that means that what you're doing is you're sliding around the object or you're rotating the object. And then it says it's still the same object. It's just got a different it's got a different pose, but we're going to identify it as such. So we don't need to memorize all the different orientations that this object could have. We can recognize that there's one object and that has this pose that we can detect. Right. Okay. That's really cool. Um, how, I, I guess, where do you want to go first? Like, uh, how does it work? Is that a good question? 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a totally reasonable question. <laughs> uh, I would start with the capsule part of capsule network. So this is the fundamental building block of the uh, the signature architectural points of uh, capsule networks. So the idea here is that in a regular neural net where you might have what's called a neuron, which is this unit of calculation, basically, uh, in a capsule network, you'll have what are called capsules. Uh, right. And so, yeah, <laughs> easy enough. And here's the fundamental idea of a capsule. The output of a capsule, usually for a neuron, you have a bunch of inputs that go in, they're multiplied by weights, they're added up, passed through some kind of nonlinear activation function. And the output of all of that fancy math is that it produces a zero or a one, and right. it passes that zero or one onto the next uh, neuron in, in the network. So capsules are not just zero or one at the other end. Exactly. So they send out a vector instead of this binary scalar. And this vector has a very particular interpretation. So the probability of detecting a particular feature is the length of the vector. So that output vector is, let's imagine, take our face example here, because I think this makes a lot more sense if you use an analogy. Right. Okay. Okay. So one of your lower level capsule layers is going to have each capsule is going to understand a particular low level feature of a face. So you might have a capsule for eyes, you might have capsules for noses, you might have capsules for mouth, you might have capsule for a chin, for hair, all these different components of what make up a face. And then the next layer past that is you're going to have capsules for You'll have one capsule for a face, but then you'll have other capsules that are for other types of objects that you could be trying to identify. So maybe you have one that's for a face, and then you have a different one that's for a car. And then obviously for a car, that's going to be looking for inputs like wheels or doors or the hood of a car or uh, rear view mirrors or any of these kinds of things. And so when you put in a bunch of pixels into one of these capsules, then that capsule is going to say, is this a thing that looks like, you know, what I've been trained to recognize as a nose? If so, then yes, the output of the output vector that this that my capsule is going to create from this is going to be, well, it's always between zero and one, but the closer that it is to one, the higher the probability basically that it thinks it sees a nose. And then that vector, so it has a length, which is the probability of detecting that feature. And then it also has, because it's a vector, it has a direction. And the direction of that output vector is the pose of the detected feature. So what? the output of the capsule can kind of rotate around in space in the same way that the feature itself can kind of rotate around in space Wait, I gotta ask a I gotta ask a question now. <laughs> sure, uh, because in in a in a three dimensional world, and a, let's just assume that all of the things we're detecting are things that are in three dimensions. Yeah. Um, in a three dimensional world, uh, that means that you have three axes of rotation. You can rotate it like if you're if you're looking at something that's uh, across the room, that thing can rotate in the z axis, which is just you know. 
it just it just rotates right or rotates left. You yeah. can also rotate on the Y and the X axis, and that mm-hmm. will either turn it uh, sideways uh, away from you or towards you, or up and down. I guess I did a kind of a bad job explaining that, but but basically you can rotate it in three dimensions. But a vector, I assume, only has one axis of rotation. So how do you how, what what is that axis of rotation actually talking about? It's it is it just choosing a dimension? Well, so a vector in this case, a vector is going to have several different components in the vector. So a vector is going to be, let's say, three different numbers that are all packaged up together. So one of them is the component oh. in the x direction, the y direction, and the z direction. So those three I numbers see. together can represent a direction the same as. Any, as the same as an, an arrow, basically. Got it. Okay, good clarification. So, so you can actually tell from the vector, you can actually uh, figure out a three-dimensional pose. Uh, yes, yes. Or sometimes even higher dimensional, because sometimes poses, like I said, you'll have the rotation in a few different directions, and then you might have translation as well. So back, oh, forth, up, down. You know. So sometimes these vectors can be more than just three, um, more than just three components. But okay. um, I just want to repeat that again because it's a weird enough concept and it's tricky enough that, and it's also really fundamental here. So the whole idea is that you have the output of this capsule is this vector, and the vector has two properties that you're interested in. Uh, what is the probability of detecting the feature that that capsule is representing? And that's the length of the vector. Yeah. It's between zero and one. And then what is the state or pose of that detected feature, and that is the direction of the vector. So you're using the vector, it's the vector output itself to uh, capture all the necessary information about that particular feature that it represents. Okay, so you've got your uh, first layer of low level capsules. One of them is like, yeah, I see a nose, uh, vector length 0.9, something pretty high. Uh, and it's got a pose. And then, okay, I see an eye. Okay, I see another eye. Okay, I see a, a mouth. These things haven't talked to each other yet. These are different capsules that are detecting this thing. Yes. Uh, there is no hood of a car. The hood hood of a car detection says 0.001, and it's got some pose. If there was a hood, it would be in this in, in this pose. How do we bring those things now together? We know there's no hood of a car, and we know that there's um, a mouth and an eye and a nose and an eye. Yes, excellent question. So there is going to be a higher level capsule that's going to be the face capsule, and that capsule is going to be taking input vectors from uh, the previous layer. So all of those... Oh, actually, and just to to reiterate something that I I think we talked about in a previous episode, each of those low-level capsules looking for an eye or looking for a mouth, they're sliding over the entire image, each one of them, correct? Kind of looking for this pattern? Oh, um, so that is a characteristic of a convolutional layer, and as it happens, that's not a super characteristic of capsules, but as it happens when they've actually built capsule networks, the way that you construct it, the architecture, is you'll have a couple layers of convolutional, a couple of convolutional layers, then a couple of capsule layers, and then at the end, a couple of uh, fully connected layers to do classification stuff. And so anyway, 
the capsules themselves are not doing that sliding window thing mm, that okay. convolutional layers do, but very often you combine them together into the same network to have a similar effect. That makes sense because it, it makes a lot of sense to have these capsules in some form or some fashion be able to search through the entire image for the nose that they're looking for. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you there. No worries. So you have all your lower level eye, nose, mouth uh, capsules. And one of the key parts of a capsule network is that when you train a capsule network, what it actually learns or the characteristic, a characteristic of this network when it's trained is that the output of a given capsule goes to the most likely higher level capsule. So it's kind of represented in the architecture of the network itself that eyes, nose, and mouth all map into faces and they don't, you don't expect them to map into cars or cats or any of the other stuff. And so, yeah. And so then when you, uh, when you pass, say a picture of a face into this, then it's going to be decomposed into all the different parts, like the eyes, the nose, the mouth. Those are going to be picked up by uh, kind of topic-specific capsules at a lower level. It calculates the probability that you've just seen an eye, a nose, a mouth, and also the pose of that eye, nose, and mouth. Like, where are they in the image? And in particular, you expect them to all have a particular orientation relative to each other. And so then when the outputs of all of those capsules are going to the next highest layer, they're saying, hey, we've seen an eye, a nose, and a mouth. And moreover, this is where that happened, uh, like where in the image and with what angle. And Mm. so that's how it captures the hierarchy information between all of those objects together have to be in a certain orientation in order for you to say that it's a face. Oh, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's really that cool. That makes sense. Um, um, I have a, So I, I have a quick question about that, actually. Yeah. If you have a car detector and a face detector, clearly you don't want to send noses to the car detector or headlights to the face detector. But there are also, there are also objects that you might want to differentiate that have similar... Like, differentiate from other things that have similar features. Uh, for example... If you're differentiating pots from pans from from uh, I don't know uh, cutlery uh, or or serving platters, mm-hmm. it's quite possible that you could have uh, a lower level thing that is a handle, you know, and you would find that handle on some pots, and you would f- find a similar handle on pans. So can your higher level capsule for pots and your higher higher level capsule from pans both take the input from the lower level handles capsule? Yeah, so that's a good question. And it starts to get at the heart of sort of the second thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, which is that, of course, you can have different lower level uh, features that can show up across several different higher level options. And so Knowing where to send the output of a lower level capsule in terms of where should it, which higher level capsule should it go onto, is a little bit more complex than the way that I've represented it so far because you need to 
understand, you know, have all that richness in the architecture. And well, so this isn't is reality always harder than. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this is where uh, it has to learn the weights. There's there's weights that are associated with each of those. Uh, the connections between each of those lower level outputs and the associated higher level outputs, just like in a regular neural net, that there's weights on those connections. And those weights are what you have to learn uh, during the the training phase. And those weights are kind of representing the idea that most of the time with, say, eyes, nose, and mouth, you're pretty sure that those go onto a face. But if you have uh, lower level features that are common across several different options, then you're going to have the weights spread across those several different outputs that it could go to. So if you had something like eyes, but instead of it being a car and a person, it's a person, like a person's face and a dog's face, like that both people and dogs have eyes. So then maybe there would be a little bit of a bias that you would have towards a person or a dog based on whether you see an eye, but that there would be some probability distribution across those two options. And that's captured in the weights of the network itself. Got it. So they can go either place, but which they go to, uh, you get a spread, I guess. Yeah. So if you want to get technical about it, the weights between, uh, for each, for each lower level capsule that you have, the weights out of it define a probability distribution across how its output belongs to each of the higher level capsules that are an mm. option, if that right. if that helps. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so then what you're doing when you're training a capsule network, all of this idea of like, this is a way that you could represent a uh, an architecture for neural nets that could be kind of interesting for image recognition. This isn't this isn't the newest stuff. I think Jeff Hinton had this idea a while ago. The thing that they've more recently figured out and that makes it all possible is that then you need to have a an algorithm for actually doing the training of the network because um, it turns out that sort of your regular ways of doing back propagation and stochastic gradient descent don't really work for capsule networks for reasons that we we don't necessarily have to get into. Um, so anyway, the point is that the the new innovation that's made these things actually useful is an algorithm called dynamic routing. And the dynamic routing algorithm is basically the training algorithm. It makes it so those lower level capsules are sending their inputs to the higher level capsules that agree with their inputs. Mm, okay. And so this now the details of how dynamic routing works start to get a little bit in the weeds but the rough idea of it is again let's take the the face example Mm -hmm. so the rough idea is that when you have your nose capsule and it sends some signal to it, it it has this candidate signal that it can send to the face capsule and it can send it to the car capsule but in a sense, it's not like the f- the nose is acting alone. It's not the only piece of information that you have for identifying this here. So I kind of think of it this way. Imagine that for the face example, you have just the eyes by themselves. Maybe you have just the mouth by itself. And 
Based on the eyes, you could probably make an educated guess that there's a face there, and if so, kind of where it is and at what angle are you viewing it. So you're getting that pose just from the eyes by itself. Uh, you could do the same thing with the mouth. You might get a slightly different prediction, like maybe the mouth, you have a slightly different guess about the pose or the, the location, the orientation, but it's still going to be giving you roughly like, hey, there's a face in this general area. Then when you get the nose, that's like another supporting piece of evidence, assuming that it's in the right orientation relative to the eyes and, and the mouth that you've already spelled out. So you're building up this hypothesis piece by piece that there's a face there. And if all of your face signals are in rough agreement that this is what's going on and here's what the face is and here's the orientation of it, then you want your face capsule to be firing in the next layer. And so what that means is that each of those inputs has kind of the piece, a piece of the picture here, a piece of the hypothesis where you're building up like step-by-step -step evidence that there's a face in a particular location. The output that you want to get from that is a stronger, more coherent signal at the higher level capsule. There is a face here. And so what that looks like from a mathematical perspective is that there's all of those output vectors from eyes, nose, mouth are pointing in a particular direction that's kind of similar with each other because they're adding up to telling the same story. And that story is the same story that you want to be having out of your higher level capsule as well. Namely, there's a face here. So what you're doing is you're effectively putting all of these vectors next to each other. And if they're pointing in roughly the same direction, then you privilege that outcome in terms of like you say, this capsule is the one that we want to tell uh, these lower level capsules to send their output to. Whereas with the car picture, you're not going to be getting that same coherence of all of those lower level capsules firing at the same time and in the same direction. You might have little pieces of the picture that because you don't have the full context around them, maybe the network gets confused and sometimes thinks that it, maybe it looks like an eye, like maybe it gets a headlight instead or something. But it, you're just going to have that single piece of evidence from the headlight. It's not going to be corroborated by like a nose I or see. a mouth. Mm, so yeah. it's not going to be the same situation where you have all of those vectors lining up and pointing in the same direction. And so that's going to be uh, whatever, deprivileged by the right. training algorithm. Your car won't be firing on all cylinders, as it were. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I realized that, you know, I hand-waved a little bit through, like, the math of that. And again, there are some better uh, resources on the web if you really want to tear this apart and reconstruct it in your head. But that's, that's the rough idea, is that you're looking for vector similarities between the inputs and the outputs of all the different, like, layers that have to be uh, firing together, so to speak. Not only uh, maybe better resources that go more in depth, but also a better medium. Explaining math on a podcast is probably not the best thing. Indeed, yeah. And so there's just maybe one more thing I'll leave you all with uh, in this, like all all of me. This is uh, just a conversation with us, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, as we finish off this crash course, so a little bit of like, what have we used these things for, and why are people so excited? Um, so we mentioned a bit of this in a previous episode, but there are a couple things that are pretty cool about this. So one is that they have uh, quite good accuracy and performance on 
some of your benchmark image recognition tasks. I saw some reference somewhere to them being 45% better than the current state of the art on certain problems. I don't know exactly the details of that, but that's huge if true. Second is that you can do that on substantially fewer uh, trading images than with a more traditional convolutional neural net setup. Uh, So typically with these image recognition nets, you need to train them on hundreds of thousands of examples. Uh, With a capsule net, you might be able to get pretty good performance after just a couple hundred, because it only has to see the same object a few times before it starts to recognize it. That's kind of amazing to me. Yeah. It's a it's a little terrifying, actually. I I remember. See, so you know what a captcha is, right? Yeah. Those those pictures that there may be distorted text or whatever, but the whole idea is you're proving, hey, I'm a human because I can solve this this visual. I can um, take the squiggly text and I can tell you what letters they are, or I can find all of the pictures of bridges in all of these photos, right? Yeah. Um, I remember seeing a, a CAPTCHA that really impressed me conceptually. This was years and years and years ago. And it said, click on the airplane. And there were, uh, or click on the airplanes. And there were all of these pictures. And some of the airplanes were pointing towards the camera. Some of them were pointing sideways. And I remember thinking, this is perfect. Like, computers don't understand that each of these images represents an object in three-dimensional space. But because we as humans have all of this uh, this context around what airplanes look like, because we've seen them from during our whole training process that is growing up, uh, we're really good at identifying these things. And I, I felt really um, confident that it would be many, 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 like several decades before computers could do this, even close to as well as we do. And here you're kind of telling me that's not true in a sense, that that we're actually seeing uh, some applications of machine learning that are allowing uh, the computer to understand spatially, three-dimensionally, what is in an image as if it's a scene, and then be able to, uh, to corroborate that with another image and say, yeah, these might be the same thing. That is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you're predictions from a few years ago were uh have not been borne out by reality no, no. <laughs> that's okay uh if, if <laughs> at least i, I had a nickel for every time that happened uh this is why we don't write prediction blog posts <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um no it's but a whole you're, market in that but not for me yeah no you're you're right though it's it's a totally different way of thinking about uh image classification so uh, this is obviously the first that we've talked about this particular thing, but I suspect it's not the last time that we'll hear about these. Linear digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at lineardigressions.com and katie at lineardigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at lindigressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.